Wild berries, spice cider, rose, jasmine, white grape, stone fruit, dark chocolate, candied, plum, blackberry, mold wine, confectioner's sugar, rose water, spearmint. The weirdest feast you've ever heard? Nope. These are all flavors that someone, somewhere, tasted when they tried and cupped different types of coffees. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Boise Coffee Podcast, Season 2, Episode 3. As always, I'm your host, Colin Mansfield, and today we're talking all about coffee flavors and aromas. But before we get into that, I want to touch on the difference between objectively judging coffee and subjectively tasting coffee. I've briefly talked about this in a previous episode, but I think it's important to bring up here since coffee tasting, or cupping as it's called in the specialty coffee community, sits right between subjective thoughts on coffee and objective tastes. So here's the thing. You're the one drinking the coffee. You should drink what you like, regardless of what anyone else tells you or what you read. At the end of the day, it's completely up to you whether you like or don't like coffee. As with anything relating to taste or style, the most important thing, as far as I'm concerned, is that you like what you're drinking. Now, with all that said, there's some pretty bad coffee out there. If you've ever taken a sip of coffee that's been sitting in a pot for a couple hours, you know what I'm talking about. It's hard to forget that burnt, charcoaly taste. And there's also some really great coffee out there. Where things tend to get foggy for the average consumer is the line between good and bad coffee. While the extremes are usually easy to point out, it's a bit more difficult to tell the difference between average coffee and great coffee. So what most experienced coffee drinkers will tell you is that you just need to taste a lot of coffee before you're able to pick out all the flavors and aromas that make certain coffees unique. And I think that's certainly true. It's a lot harder to read about taste and actually get it than it is to tell the difference for yourself when you sit down and focus on the cup that's right in front of you. Still, wouldn't it be really helpful if there was some sort of tool to help you learn about the taste in your expensive specialty coffee? Enter the Specialty Coffee Association of America's Coffee Tasters Flavor Wheel, or just the Coffee Wheel for short. In 1995, Ted Lingle, the former executive director of the SCAA, or Specialty Coffee Association of America, invented the Coffee Wheel. And actually, that should be plural, wheels, because there's two of them on the original poster that he created. The left wheel refers to taints and faults, while the right wheel is all about distinct aroma and flavor tasting attributes found in coffee. Now I'm going to describe the wheels here, but when you get the chance, you should Google them and take a look for yourself. It's going to make a lot more sense that way. The left taints and faults wheel has a core, and it's divided into four sections. External changes, internal changes, aroma taints, and taste faults. Moving outward from this core, each of these categories are further broken into fats changing chemically, acids changing chemically, loss of organic material, improper roasting, fats absorbing tastes, and fats absorbing odors. Next, these categories are broken into general tastes like musty, aged, scorched, and moldy. And finally, these tastes are divided further into more specific flavors like coffee pulp, concrete, starchy, and soapy. 
So the idea is that as a roaster or coffee professional tastes a coffee, he can use the taints and faults wheel to pinpoint the issue with a roast and fix the problem. For example, a soapy flavor may indicate that the fats in the coffee are chemically changing, which means there's an internal problem in the beans, and that may be due to improper processing techniques at origin. A charred taste, on the other hand, likely means that the roaster is at fault. So that's the left wheel. The right wheel also has a core, but it's divided simply into tastes on one side and aromas on the other. And moving outward on the aromas half leads to enzymatic, sugar browning, and dry distillation. The next level contains aromas like fruity, chocolatey, and spicy, while further levels contain even more specific smells like pungent, roasted peanuts, onion, and pipe tobacco. Now, the taste half has less levels, and it contains four broad categories, sour, sweet, salt, and butter. Next levels out include tastes like tart, alkaline, mild, and acrid. This full wheel has less to do with solving issues associated with a roast and more to do with putting a name to the flavors and aromas that might otherwise elude the taster. So both of these wheels together give cuppers guideposts to navigate the world of coffee. They were never meant to be a hard and fast rule book, but instead were to be a tool to allow roasters, growers, and sourcers, and actually consumers, to talk about coffee with the same lexicon. The purpose was to clear up confusion, but some people argue that it's produced a new level of coffee snobbery with a secret handshake that only the in-crowd knows about. And we're going to go back to 1995 to Ted Lingle, the former executive director of the SCAA that I mentioned earlier. Now, the idea behind the Coffee Taster's Flavor Wheel originated in his first book, and it was called The Coffee Cupper's Handbook. In an interview with the Equal Exchange, Lingle said, quote, we need a more expansive language for coffee, end quote. Now, the first version of his book was introduced to some key coffee professionals that had organized the SCAA. But it wasn't until Ted met with Jeff Babcock of Seattle's Zoka Coffee Roaster and Tea that the coffee wheel as we know it today began to take shape. Now that being said, it's important to note that originally the Coffee Taster's Flavor Wheel was intended to be a companion to the Coffee Cupper's Handbook. It wasn't necessarily supposed to be a standalone reference. The Flavor Wheel is truly complex, but Lingle's book while not necessarily the most approachable read to the layman, nonetheless provides a really solid foundation to the descriptors found on the wheels. Another interesting thing to note about the Coffee Taster's flavor wheel are the colors. In her interview with Ted Lingle, author Bed Ann Casperson writes, quote, I always thought that the colors of the wheel were attractive and seemed to express the terms they surrounded. Light yellow for lemon, dark brown for chocolate, but what I learned from Lingle was that the amount of time and energy put into the color scheme was not a whimsical arrangement related to terms, but that each term was very purposefully put in place to represent the weight of the molecules that they were meant to represent. For example, the enzymatic category and the terms associated with it actually contain a lighter molecular weight than those found in the dark purple colors seen in the dry distillation category." End quote. So in 2014, Counterculture Coffee came up with their own version of the Coffee Taster's flavor wheel. At the time, their quality manager, Timothy Hill, spoke about the old wheel saying, quote, It's very scientific, and there is part genius to it, but it doesn't make for the most intuitive application. 
We wanted this new wheel to be intuitive, maybe a little more handcrafted. We tried to list the descriptors of coffee that come up fairly frequently in actual tastings. Not all the descriptors fit perfectly, but hopefully the categories make sense and the descriptors in them flow together, end quote. The updated wheel was well-received by the specialty coffee community, and it's still widely used in cuppings and cafes today. Now we're going to fast forward to this year. In January of 2016, the SCAA came out with their own official update to their coffee taster's flavor wheel. Peter Giuliano, the senior director at the SCAA, calls the new wheel more descriptive and less jargony. The wheel's well-designed, bringing a fresh feeling to the classic design. The other interesting note is that the taints and faults wheel and the flavor tasting attributes wheel have been combined. Now there's just one wheel with words like overripe and ashy included so that even less than desirable tastes can be given a name to. On their website, the SCAA describes the process of designing the new wheel. And they say, quote, The SCAA embarked on another groundbreaking research study, this time with the prestigious Food Science and Technology Department at University of California, Davis, to understand how coffee tasters associate these flavor attributes with each other. While the WCR sensory lexicon identified a list of coffee flavor attributes, it did not organize them as a flavor wheel does, so we engaged UC Davis to provide some support on this critical component of its development. The research conducted at UC Davis included over 70 professional coffee tasters and sensory panelists who participated in an agglomerative hierarchical cluster, or AHC, analysis, a web-based graphical sorting exercise never before used in coffee research, which was performed to group the flavor attributes into different categories. A multidimensional scaling, or MDS, analysis was also performed to help visualize where the flavor attributes fell in proximity to one another. This powerful statistical analysis enabled us to group flavor attributes into a hierarchy and arrange them in tiers around the wheel. The outcome was stunning. Both coffee professionals and sensory panelists organized the lexicon flavors very similarly to each other, giving us a high level of confidence in the outcome. This is the first time such a study has been used to organize descriptors on a flavor wheel, making the organization of the wheel as research-based as the lexicon flavor attributes themselves, end quote. You can read the entire report on the new flavor wheel online in the Specialty Coffee Chronicle. So the colors used in this new wheel were deliberated over just as much as in the old version. Giuliano and his colleagues asked London Design Studio One Darnley Road to revitalize the color palette of the wheel, and I think it's safe to say that they went the extra mile. Basically, they tried to get the colors to correspond as closely as possible to specific flavors. And they accomplished that by studying pictures of different foods, elements, and objects. Then they distilled each item into a specific color. Giuliano described their process this way. Quote, they studied all the colors that oranges, i.e. the fruits, can take, and they found the average orange, i.e. the color. End quote. In this way, the wheel's hues were defined as quantitatively as possible. Now, because the updated wheel is so new, there hasn't been a lot of discussion about it yet. I think overall the consensus is that the updated official wheel was needed, but we'll have to wait and see if this new singular version of the wheel is the right direction. While writing and producing this episode, I stopped by a new local coffee shop in my town. This place had just been opened a few weeks ago, and my wife and I were meeting some friends to hang out and enjoy the night together. Shout out to Josh and Laura. 
The first thing that caught my eye as I walked in was a laminated printout of the original Coffee Taster's flavor wheel, as well as a counterculture version sitting side by side. As I ordered coffee and began talking to the barista, I was reminded that coffee has less to do with these tools and more to do with the community aspect. And while I appreciate what the barista was doing and what he was going for, I couldn't shake the feeling that we were communicating with the secret handshake that I mentioned earlier. As we were talking, I realized that sometimes these terms and phrases get in the way of the heart of coffee, which is community. Coffee is only as approachable as people make it. And I think it's important for baristas and coffee shop owners to not treat these tools and methods of communication as a way to distance themselves from the average consumer. So if I could give one piece of advice to specialty coffee shop owners, it's this. Use the tools internally, but please treat your customers as a part of the club. Or better yet, don't even have a club. Let coffee be whatever it is to the person ordering it and enjoy it with that person on the level that makes sense to them. As I talked about in the last couple episodes, throughout history, coffee shops have been places where people come to share ideas and spend time with each other. So let's keep it that way. Thanks for listening to the Boise Coffee Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Colin Mansfield. If you want to talk more about coffee, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Boise Coffee. You can visit the blog, boisecoffee.org. If you want to go back and listen to season one of this podcast or the first couple episodes of season two, you can do that on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, uh, or you can go straight to my blog, boisecoffee.org, and listen to stuff there. If you enjoyed this episode and you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave me a review on iTunes. That helps me out a lot. And if you have any feedback, please leave it there as well. I'm always open to suggestions and ideas for future episodes. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your week.